A former pastor of mine told the story about when he was uh, going to baptize a young man, and the young man had some very serious learning difficulties, um, but came to church, rode his bike to church every Sunday, um, wanted to be there, wanted to get baptized, understood the gospel, and so when he was standing in the waters of baptism, wanting to baptize, I think the young man's name was Ronnie, and he said, Ronnie, tell me what a Christian is. And Ronnie said, you mean you don't even know that? (laughs) So, (laughs) my former pastor tells the story better than I do, but still, it's a a pretty good one. Uh, Especially since my opening question this morning is going to be, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is... I hate to use this because it's overused. What is an authentic Christian? What does is, what is a genuine Christian look like? From a biblical perspective, what does it mean to, to be a Christian? And I think we can boil it down and answer simply with, with two responses. To be a Christian is to be someone who is trusting in Christ. Right? Someone who has believed what Jesus has said. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, you will have eternal life. In his perfect life, his perfect death, his atoning sacrifice, his perfect resurrection. And if you trust in him, you're united to him by faith and you have eternal life. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian. At least that's how you become a Christian. That's why I said there's two points in the answer because we don't just believe in Jesus and then do nothing. Christians aren't called to do nothing. Christians are actually called uh, because of what Christ has done for them to follow Jesus, right? To, to, to do what Jesus says. We're Christians because we're, we're seeking to imitate Jesus. And really both of those things are taught by Jesus like in the Gospel according to John. Uh, He calls them to believe in Him for eternal life. He also calls those who have believed in Him to follow His example in loving God and loving neighbor. So if someone were to ask me, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'd say, you mean you don't even know that? No. I would say, well, to be a Christian is to be trusting in Jesus for eternal life and then to be following Jesus, if I want to be sophisticated, because you have eternal life, right? We don't follow Jesus to gain it. Why am I bringing this up this morning? Well, I'm bringing this up this morning because it really is important that we understand Christianity that clearly. I would like everyone, not just Christians, to be able to say say, a Christian is somebody who's trusting in Jesus uh, for eternal life and who's now seeking to follow Him. Uh, When we do weddings at Omaha Bible Church, any wedding I've ever officiated, I think I've been officiating weddings for like 25 years now, and every single time I've ever officiated a wedding, I take that back. Anyway, generally speaking, I've officiated weddings with two unbelievers before, because I think marriage is good, uh, and so I was willing to officiate their wedding. It was a non-church wedding. We stood next to the Missouri River. It was amazing. Anyway, I was willing to do that, so I, I didn't ask them this question. But every other time, I've always asked something uh, along the lines of, have you come to that place in your life where you have recognized your sinful condition before a righteous God and trusted in the work of Christ alone for your salvation? 
and every single time the man or the woman, two Christians getting married, have said, I have. And then I have a follow-up question. Is it now your desire to follow Jesus? And they say, it is. And that's what we do when we're covering affirmations of faith. We're, we're, we're acknowledging and having them acknowledged before everyone. We're Christians. This is a Christian wedding in a Christian church seeking to honor Christ. It's very, very simple. Why is it important that we, we have it simple? It's important because it's biblical. It's important also that we have it that simple because you can have assurance when it's that simple. Okay, we're studying the first letter of the Apostle John. First John, you can turn there if you'd like to, if you haven't already. It's toward the end of the Bible. First John, second John, third John. We're in first John, and first John is about assurance. If you believe in Jesus, and you understand that now that you believe in Jesus, you would want to follow Jesus, you can have assurance. It's not complicated. It's simple. Every Christian should be able to have assurance. Not only is it important that we have the simple answer right so we can know what the Bible teaches so that we can have assurance, but also negatively because there are loads of people, there are many, there's a plethora, there are numerous, however you'd like to say it, of teachers who want to confuse you about what Christianity is, about what a real Christian is, and if you're confused, you won't have assurance. So 1 John is about assurance. 1 John chapter 5 says in verse 13, and most everyone would agree this really sums up the theme of the whole letter, in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That's our confidence word. That's our assurance word. That you may know that you have eternal life. If you recall in John chapter 20, John says, I wrote these things so that you would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. My paraphrase. And then First John I'm writing these things so that you may, you who do believe in Jesus, you may know you have eternal life. So it's about assurance. And what he's doing from multiple angles and different perspectives is making it clear that if you believe in Jesus and as a result seek to follow Jesus, you should have confidence. He's also making it clear that there are all of these deceivers. He calls them false prophets. He calls them liars. He calls them other negative things who are seeking to infiltrate the church and infiltrate Christians' minds and thinking and their theology and their perspective so that they will be confused about what real Christianity is so they won't have assurance anymore. Okay, And we have all kinds of statements about this. First John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, "...test the spirits because there are many false prophets." 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the Antichrist is coming. Man, many Antichrists have come. 2.22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world or in the world already. 2 John chapter 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. And on and on the list goes. Before we get to our text, I want to take you one other place, just setting up the big picture. 
This is why the letter opens with John, if you will, giving his credentials. Because in one sense, it's always begging the question, well, how can we know? Who's to say we would know? Who's to say he would know? Who's to say that this false teacher isn't actually true? This Antichrist is actually representing the the true Christ. How can we say they're lying? Well, John's whole argument launches with trying to help you as a Christian and other people as Christians by, by, by saying, I was with Jesus. I was an eyewitness. I was an ear witness. I saw the whole thing. I wasn't alone. Other people did too. This is not only what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said to interpret what he did. And it's, therefore, us you should be listening to, not all of those who say, I had a fresh word of knowledge from the Lord. Not those who say, I had certain special private revelation. I had a special kind of dream. I had a certain kind of experience. I've got super special kind of secretive knowledge. And John is saying from the very beginning, but he's saying it positively, I know and they don't. I wasted my time yesterday and just spent a little bit of time looking at one brand of false teaching. I went to the Charisma website and found articles like this. Truly knowing God begins with this personal revelation. Or an article like this. We need prophets now more than ever to influence the seven mountains. I used self-control. I didn't want to know what the seven mountains were. All sorts of articles. You may have the Bible, but you don't have the secret meaning in Hebrew like we have. If you don't have special revelation like we have, there's no way you could understand the Bible like we understand the Bible. I have secrets to unlock true victory and health. There was one guy selling things, I mean promoting things, promising that your shoes would never wear out because he has the oldest, oldest manuscript ever known and as long as you have it and you have it prayed over you i don't know what that means but if you have it prayed over you not in english because then it doesn't work but if you have it prayed over you in hebrew then you'll have perfect health and your shoes won't wear out either 39.95 or 39.99 i'm not sure which one but you're not paying for it it's a ministry donation I, could, I just got sucked in, right? So somebody said to me, they responded, they said, it's sort of like the car accident, right? You don't want to look, but you can't help but just look. And before you know it, five minutes turned into a half hour, and I thought, I just wasted a whole bunch of time. But what wasn't a waste was, it was putting fuel on my fire, wanting to be a better pastor, saying, don't be a sucker. Don't listen to false prophets. Don't listen to antichrist. Don't listen to liars who are all about the new. Oh, some of them are about the old, right? But it's secret. It's special. It's not ordinary. It's what I have and you need me. And one thing's for sure, you can't have assurance if you don't have what I have. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning... It doesn't get older than that, which we 
have heard John the Apostle writing, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, so clear, revealed, and we have seen it and testify to you and proclaim to you the eternal life. That's what you need, your greatest need, which was with the Father and was made manifest. Again, clear revelation, not hidden to us, apostles and those with them, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. You're not going to be on the outside. You're going to be on the inside. And there is no further inside than the inside. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. You don't need anything better than that. And with His Son, Jesus, you don't need anything better than that. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. If He's telling the truth, You don't need the crackpots on charisma or any other brand of crackpot that will steal your joy and will steal your assurance. I guarantee it because you are a have-not. Always and forever being baited and suckered by the haves. John is saying, you want to talk about authority? apostolic authority, eyewitness authority. Let me tell you how it is. Now we could say, how arrogant. If it's really how it is, the height of arrogance would be to say, it's another way. And this is where we get confused. It would actually be the height of humility if it's true to say, that's what I accept. And I'm sorry you might have a nice-looking outfit, but I think you're a liar. Because I've come to affirm eyewitness testimony. Well, that's a long introduction to get us to our text. But today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. 1 John chapter 2, 3 to 11. It's super, super simple. He's going to make a simple statement about what real Christianity is, and then he's going to expose some false boasts, some false claims. And they're really all from the same chapter. Not literally, but from, from, from the same, how do I want to say, uh, the same mold. Okay, so it's going to be repetitive. He's going to make a simple statement about what Christianity is, what a Christian is, and then he's going to in a sense, quote this kind of false teacher, quote that kind of false teacher, quote that kind of false teacher, but really we're getting at the same thing. A true Christian believes in Jesus and follows Jesus. That's real Christianity. It doesn't need to be more complicated. Okay, here we go. Opening declaration, verse 3. And by this we know, there's our confidence word, and by this we know that we have come to know Him, that would be know God, I think, if we keep His commandments. There it is. Really straightforward. We can have confidence, we can have assurance that we really know God. Which is what the whole debate is all about. If we keep His commandments. And hopefully you're asking yourself the question, what are His commandments? And if you scour John... What are the commandments? Well, one commandment would be, according to chapter 3, verse 23, is this is His commandment, that you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
That'd be a good starting place. The first commandment is believe in Jesus. How can we know we have eternal life? Well, if we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. That's just like Jesus said in John's Gospel account. So how do we know what a real Christian is? Somebody who follows God's commandments. And let's go number one. Believe in my son. Oh, okay. What's, what's secretive about that? Nothing. It's clear. Yeah, but if I tell people that, I can't sell millions of books. That's right. But if I tell people that, I probably am not going to be world famous. That's right. Believe in the Son for eternal life. That's how we can know. And then what we also see in 1 John, and we see it in John as well, if we're going to define what commandment is, it's believing in Jesus, and it's something else that's repeated again and again and again and again and again and again, and it's love. Right? Love. It's all over the place. Love the brethren or the cistern, but that sounds like something bad. <laughs> love other believers. Oh, not only that, love your neighbor, which is assuming you're loving God, which is first and foremost, which would be reflected in believing Him about His Son. That's it. There's more to the Bible. There's more to the Christian life. There's details. But let's just be super simple. What What is Christianity? It's believing in Jesus and seeking to follow Jesus. It's what it is. In that order. It's repeated over and over and over and over again. Like 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Love one another just as He commanded us. Actually, we have both right in that verse. We have believe in the name of the Son, and we have love one another just as He has commanded us. How can we know? Well, that's how we can know. Pretty straightforward. How can I be safe against false prophets? Well, listen to the apostles. By the way, if I were going to be a false prophet, I'm not one. I don't play one on TV. I don't plan to. If I were going to be one, what I would do is work super, super, super hard to redefine what it means to be an apostle. Apostles were those who spoke with authority, right? This is why when you read 1 John, it's red letter. And you say, no, it's not. I've never seen it. I would like to have a Bible that's just red letter everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. Because if inspiration is true, like Christians believe that it is, it's all God's Word. And if you're an apostle of Jesus, you speak with the authority of Jesus. This is as red letter as the Gospel according to John. So if I wanted to be a deceiver, I would say I'm an apostle. But I can't say I'm an apostle because apostles had to see the risen Christ, according to 2 Corinthians. And so I would want to re-engineer and retool that. And if I'm an apostle boy, I can control your life and I can be rich. I say it that way just because that's what ends up happening. It's either about power or money. And I can steal people's assurance so they need me. How can we know? He says, we can know we follow His commands.
believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. You mean that's it? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Same. Same as John chapter 13 in Jesus' ministry. Same as Jude chapter 3 dealing with false teachers. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Kids can understand that. Adults can understand that. We can understand at the beginning of our life, the end of our life. Ready to move on? Final thing I'll say is, if you've trusted in Jesus and you're seeking to follow Jesus, I keep saying seeking because I know you don't follow Him perfectly because He's already covered that in chapter 1. No one does. But if you've come to believe in Jesus and you're seeking to follow Jesus, His commandments, you should have assurance. And remember, when you're listening to some kind of new, special, extraordinary, God took me to heaven, and I found stuff that's not actually in the Bible, kind of stuff, your assurance is being undermined because you're a have-not. When in reality, if you're in Christ by faith, you're trusting in Him, you're a have And there's nothing more to have, if you will. And you can have joy. The other stuff is joy-stealing, joy-robbing. Just remember that. I I, I wince and cringe any time I hear someone say, and I know because it's a big enough group, some of you probably say it, but I'm going to step on toes. I have no one person in mind. When people say, God told me, I wince. By the way, Christians historically have not talked that way. Unless they were apostles. Unless they were prophets. It was unique and extraordinary. Don't get me wrong, God leads us. He's personal. He guides us. He convicts us. But would you do me a favor and use those words? If that's what you mean. If you mean God told you, I'm not saying He can't do it, but I probably don't believe you. And I think the Bible's on my side, and certainly Protestant history is on my side. There's a former member of Omaha Bible Church, a kind person. And this person used to say, God told me, God told me, God told me. And I finally said, and we, were, we got along quite well. I said, you know, if that's true, you should be the preacher. What in the world am I doing up there? Because God doesn't talk to me. You're, you're getting direct revelation from God. Now she knew I didn't believe her. What am I doing preaching the Bible if God is just giving me new, fresh revelation? I could have a jet. 
What am I doing living in Omaha, Nebraska? And I would be a have, and you would be a have not. And what we would have is not the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith. Be careful. Be cautious. The reason John is so strong in underlining in the opening words, I saw him, I heard him, I was there. And so I'm going to give you objective truth, reality that doesn't change. And if you affirm these things, you can be sure and have assurance and confidence and joy. We don't need a 67th and a 68th and a 69th and a 70th and Seven millionth book of the Bible, by the way, because if God is talking to you, why in the world do you have a Bible without a three-ring binder in the back where you can just keep adding to it? I'm just giving you classic, historic, Protestant Christianity today. But don't forget, I I need to stop. None of this was in my notes. So uh, if my wife were here, she'd say, you should stick to to your notes, honey. People might like you more. (sighs) What we're living in and experiencing right now is an aberration. God told me this. God told me that. And we are all a bunch of suckers. No wonder we don't have assurance. How can we know if we obey His commandments? And by the way, they're His commandments, not the commandments of the people who supposedly God is talking to. If we obey His commandments, assurance, this is awesome. I don't have to be paralyzed by other people intimidating me. By the way, I'm super intimidated. Somebody starts giving me that. I'm I'm about ready to spend time with someone who says this kind of stuff quite a bit, and I'm going to be intimidated. What do I say? I just want to go do something else. I got nothing. Not really. We have the living and active Word of God transforms people's lives. Let's move on, okay? Here we go. Same mold, three empty boasts. The first empty boast is, I know God even though they're not following His commandments. How about verse 4? Whoever says, I know Him. Use whatever accent you want to. Something maybe intimidating. I know God. Right? Or if you're intimidated by some other kind of verbiage. I know Him. Implications, I know things about Him and I know things about Him that you don't know. You need me. No, I know him. Whoever says, I know him, and apparently these false prophets were saying that, but does not keep his commandments. We've already seen believe in Jesus and do what he says. Specifically, love is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John is saying they can, they can talk all they want to talk about, I know God. Right? And it's super intimidating sometimes. And he says, they're liars. They don't know him because they don't keep his commandments. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus and you do what Jesus says. They're therefore liars. Pretty harsh. Isn't it interesting too? Here's a book that promotes love. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, Pat is not very loving. 
And I think Christians are supposed to love. I do too. But it's so interesting that in this letter that says, believe in Jesus and love your neighbor, and anybody who's not doing that and peddling Christianity is a liar. I do think we should use some caution when we call people liars because we're supposed to love. I said, God help me. Because I could just be the lambaster. And then I'm maybe the liar. Let's not do that. The truth is not in him. And they're claiming truth. How about verse 5? But whoever keeps his word, synonymous with what? Commandments. Whoever keeps his word, his instruction, his law, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may, here we go again, know that we're in Him. Notice the contrast. In verse 4, whoever says, I know Him, and now at the end of verse 5, by this we may know that we are in Him. Contrast. You say you know God, you got a different version, and I say I know God, how can we know? I say apostolic revelation is how we know. Not only apostolic revelation, but what does the apostolic revelation tell us? It tells us what Jesus said. Believe in me, love one another. Pretty straightforward. It's been perfected, the love of God perfected. John may be, because he seems to be doing this often, he may be borrowing verbiage from the false teachers. Remember earlier he says people who say they have no sin, right? They're liars, they're claiming to be perfectionists. John might be borrowing it to to make a point. You want to talk about perfection? I'll give you perfection. The love of God is perfected when we're keeping His Word. And think about how that works. It's love of God. Think about this. We're supposed to love God as human beings and we're supposed to love neighbor and we don't. That's called sin. So there's a love problem to begin with. So God loves us, First John says elsewhere, not that we love God, we're not the initiators, but He loved us first. So we've got a love problem called sin. God is going to solve it. He loves us and gives His unique Son. And now we lawbreakers have a Savior who's the law fulfiller, because He's the fulfiller of the law, and He's the propitiation for our sins, which would be violations against God's law. We saw it last time. And now that we're Christians who are trusting in Christ and new creation, new creatures in Christ, now we're supposed to love. And we do love as new creations, as new creatures. This is the, the, the perfecting of the, of, the, of the love of God. We're back to where we were supposed to be, doing what's sane, loving our Creator, and loving uh, fellow image bearers. I love it. I love that. The love of God is perfected. You want to talk about perfection? It's in and through Christ, ultimately, and in and through His people. I love that. God loves sinners. Jesus loves the Father as our substitute. Jesus fulfills the law, the law of love, the love of law, and now we love as a result. John says, by this we may know that we're in Him. How can we know?
one of our former pastors, Rob Clay, pastors in Imperial, Imperial, Nebraska. He told me one day he was at the grocery store. Imperial, I don't think, has a stoplight. Maybe one. I'm not sure. Um, and I'm not being, I'm being serious. There are wonderful people there. <laughs> Never been. So he said he's in the grocery store and he sees the kid who went to heaven. Heaven is for real. Because one bad thing about pastoring in Imperial, Nebraska, is that kid lives there. <laughs> Have fun with that. And he said, addressed him by name, I, you know, I have some questions for you about heaven. I read your book. And he said he pretended like he didn't hear him. Robbie had questions because things that were said in the book were patently unbiblical. Robbie's thinking, you didn't go to heaven. You're a bazillionaire, but you didn't go to heaven because what you told in your book doesn't match what the Bible teaches. Robbie didn't even get any of that stuff out. He was just asking him questions. He wanted to have a little, you know, I mean, if you've been to heaven before, you probably have something to say. Robbie said he did one of these. Couldn't leave fast enough. But people around the world, some of you are intimidated because you can't know things because all you have is a dumb Bible. And that is sick. False prophets claiming things are true that aren't biblical. And you know what they do? They rob your joy. And if I'm robbing your joy right now, I'm doing it to serve a greater end. And that is so you would have joy someday. How can you have joy? You have joy by believing in Jesus whose work is done and by keeping His commandments. Someone said evangelicals are some of the most gullible people on planet earth. Let's have no one in this room be a gullible evangelical because we don't know the truth. Let's know the truth. And you know what then? We're called to be ambassadors in the name of Christ. Let's then share with other people, hopefully nicer than I do, what's true so they can be set free by the truth and have joy. Even though sometimes we're going to feel like a bunch of Christians who are just plain old Christians. Yeah, you know what? Let's be plain old Christians because you know what? Plain old Christians have a shirt. Because they're not looking for the next big thing. Because the next big thing came 2,000 years ago, and His name was Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter 1. God is a speaking God, right? God is a God of revelation. And He's spoken in many various and sundry ways, if you like that kind of language. He's spoken in so many different ways throughout history. And then the author of Hebrews says, and climactically, amazingly, astoundingly, wonderfully, perfectly, in these last days, think end, in these, in these last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. You don't get closer to the Father than in the Son. And then the argument of Hebrews is, therefore, it is enough to believe in Jesus. You don't have to be intimidated by what is supposedly older or supposedly newer. 
The grand revelation of all, according to Christianity, and I would say universally, is Christ and His finished work. And we don't own that. We don't believe that. And it's terrible. Because it's not good for us and it's not good for other people. To boast in Christ instead of, I felt, I saw, I experienced. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Amazing. Assurance. Next empty boast, empty claim. Number two in verse six. I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Whoever says in verse 6, whoever says, I got these three empty claims because it says, says, and says, at least in most translations. Whoever says he abides in him, he's with him, he's united to him, he continues with him, he walks with him. Whoever abides in him, whoever says this, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We know what he means metaphorically. It's conduct. It's the way you carry yourself. And Jesus loved. So he's getting at that, no doubt. So if I say, I'm with Jesus, you can know that I'm with, I'm with Jesus if I am imitating Jesus. But if I'm not imitating Jesus, you can know that I'm just back to the liar camp. I am writing to you. Beloved, how about verse 7? Beloved, John, as an apostle, contrary to the hucksters. Beloved, I, the one who saw Jesus. You could even write that in your margin. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Beloved, I, the one who knows things. I am writing you no new commandment. Oh, people, new. I've got new, extraordinary, shinier than your old dumb Christianity. I'm not writing you anything new. Or maybe they were doing the opposite. Maybe that's a better way to look at it. They're saying, oh, that's just that new stuff. What we have is ancient, special kind of stuff. So ours is better. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, there's a commandment. Is it new or old? Yeah. There, there, there's this commandment, and it's, it's not new, it's old, but it's not old, it's new. What's he talking about? It's the command to love, is what it is. And that's so old, it's even in Leviticus. That's old. It's in the Old Testament. To love your neighbor. That's not a New Testament thing. That's an Old Testament thing. And by the way, that's a thing before it's ever even written down. Because as soon as there was a human being and another human being, it was a thing. Because God's law was written on people's hearts. It was the thing all along. And so we have the commandment, love. And Jesus boils it down to love God, love neighbor. That's not new. It's as old as creation. Then we move into being believers, and it's new for us. Here's how that works. We're supposed to love others and love God, and as long as you do that, it'll be good for you. And I like to say, have fun with that. Because you're a sinner. 
So that commandment condemns you, even though it's good and right. Then what do we need? We need Jesus to be the commandment fulfiller who loved God and loved neighbor perfectly and fulfilled the requirement. And now that we're in Christ by faith, we're trusting in Christ, we're called to follow Christ. And now we're back to doing what human beings are supposed to do, and that would be love God and love neighbor. That's what is meant by it's old and it's new. It's ancient, but it's new because you're new. And your relationship with God is new. And you're seeking to obey God's law not to justify you because you've already been justified by Christ who perfectly did it, but now that you have been perfectly justified, you want to do the right thing out of gratitude. Second John says something similar. Second John chapter 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. For many, many years of my Christian life, this was totally confusing. It doesn't have to be confusing. Love is what the law requires. We don't do it. It's ancient. Jesus fulfills the law. And we believe in Jesus. So God accepts us as if we kept the law perfectly. But now, out of gratitude, we have a desire to do it. This is why old Christians, and I don't mean any of you here, you're all way younger than these old Christians. Even if you're the oldest person in the room. A long time ago when Christians were trying to boil all of this down and have it make sense and simplify it and help the rest of us, they talked about guilt and grace and gratitude. The law shows you your guilt. You don't love the way you're supposed to love. And so we have grace in Christ fulfilling the law. And now that we have grace in Christ fulfilling the law, the commandments, the requirements, we have a desire to do this. We're new creatures and now we do it out of gratitude. How did we get there? If we say we're with Jesus, we're going to be people who love. We don't love false teaching, but we love. Maybe that's why we love. It's kind of interesting. If we we talk about being so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. In a sense, this passage is teaching the opposite. You're so heavenly minded because it said there at the end, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I mean, because you're in Christ, everything is new and you're waiting for it to all become actualized, if you will. You're waiting for His return, which hasn't happened yet. He's going to have to deal with that lie. But you're so heavenly minded because you're in Christ and your destiny is sure in Christ that you want to do the right thing. And be earthly good in the here and now. To love. It doesn't make sense to live badly. Okay, let's move on and finish. Number three, a third empty kind of claim that needs to be exposed. Getting at the same thing. Number three, I am in the light. I am in the light. Is that a good statement or a bad statement? It's a good statement in the sense that we learned in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light. No darkness in Him at all. So, and, and John uses it in a moral sense. Right? Word picture for that which is right and good and righteous. So if I say, I'm in the light, I'm saying what? I'm with God. Right? 
But I want to be in the light. I want to be what, where God is. And I want to please Him and honor Him. And that would be loving, right? I certainly want to do that. But here, he says in verse 9, whoever says he is in the light, I'm with God, and hates his brother, is still in darkness. And again, maybe what these false teachers do is they, they like to use that kind of terminology. It's good terminology because God is light, right? But a lot of times, and you hear it if you talk to people or you watch certain things or read certain things, and they talk about going into the light. And we follow the light. Well, we're just borrowing from what's actually true. But a lot of times, people who want to lead you into darkness talk about, we represent the light. We have the special light, special illumination. It's why you need us. And John says, if those people aren't doing the basics, basics, basics of loving others, I won't even use the term that my grandma would have used. It's not fib. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it just seems too easy. It seems too basic. Christians are people who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And he's already established we don't follow him perfectly. But it is what we do. It's pretty much how it is. How about let's end with verse 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. You want to talk about light? That's the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Probably this good image of, I mean, that's the confident path, the bold path. You can just move forward. It's assuring that path. There's no cause for stumbling. I mean, if that's, that's you're believing in Jesus and, and, and loving others, you could just boldly go down that path. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And before we're done, notice that last part. Does not know where he is going. Note the irony. They're the false teachers. They're claiming to be leaders. I'm in charge. I heard from God. I'm in the light. I know God. I'm with Jesus. Follow me on my path. And he says, they don't know where they're going. And so if you're going to give me advice, you're going to say, Pat, you would be a total idiot if you were to follow those people. They don't even know where they're going. What is wrong with you, Pat? It's crazy. They're clueless. Blind leading the blind. You say, stop. What kind of fool are you? Don't do it. Cease and desist. We want to be on the clear path where we can move forward with boldness. And we're going to follow, by the way, we're all going to follow something or someone. We're going to follow those who saw with their eyes and heard with their ears. Not only the events, because events can be interpreted different ways, 
but the events as well as the interpretation of the events. That would be a much better path to be on. And what does he say? He says, believe in me for eternal life. Really? How could that be? Because he does everything necessary. And then what? Do what I do. And we know he doesn't mean walk on water. He doesn't mean live in the Middle East and never wear tennis shoes. He doesn't mean don't drive a car but only walk. Do what I do. It's been defined throughout the gospel accounts as well as by his apostles. You're to be characterized by loving. which may involve sacrifice, commitment, harm to self. Christianity is super, 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 super simple. Doesn't mean there aren't great, great depths we can't plunge into. I love that kind of stuff. But if I say, what does it mean to be a Christian? I hope you'd be like that Ronnie kid and say, you mean you don't even know that? Believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Oh, but what about all these people who intimidate me? They don't even know where they're going. They don't even know where they're going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Spirit of God who opens our eyes and allows us to comprehend things. Uh, We're grateful most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ that he not only came here and knew the commandment, but he fulfilled all that was required of him. We're grateful he was born under the law, that he fulfilled the law, and then he knows what's best for us as his followers, as those who belong to him by faith, that we would follow your word and we would seek to love you and love others around us as well. Thank you for your kindness. Please sustain us. Please help us supernaturally to turn from the allurement that we may have uh, to those who make things up. And Lord, may we also find ourselves graciously and kindly and thoughtfully communicating the truth about Jesus to other people, uh, whether they be young or old. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to be dismissed this morning. Have a great day resting in Christ and don't be intimidated.